Welcome to Extra AI, a podcast series on machine learning and AI applications. Yes, you're right. X-T-R-A-W-A-I. Extract the raw AI conversations uh, with guests from different domains and different uh, teams. So this is uh, Raghu Banda, your host of the podcast series. And today I have an interesting conversation on the machine learning platforms and one such player or one such startup in this uh, sphere of uh, machine learning platforms and they focus on the observability patterns around machine learning. As we all know, once these machine learning models are built, deployed, and then as you know that we have to constantly monitor these machine learning models and improve them over a period of time. Uh, So this particular startup focuses on the observability patterns and monitoring and logging around machine learning. So I have two such uh, two guests from this startup. And the name of the startup is Aris, based out of uh, the Bay Area in California. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. You'll get more information as usual at the end of the conversation. All right, uh, welcome back to our uh, podcast series, Machine Learning and AI Applications. Today, I have an interesting conversation with uh, one of our, uh, uh, with one of the startups here, uh, Aris, uh, the ML Observatory platform. So I have two guests from Aris, Amber Roberts and Dad Neko. Uh, hi, Amber. Hi, Dad. Hi. hi <laughs> Thanks for having us. So Amber, I'll first uh, go to you. Maybe can you give a quick introduction or a quick background from your uh, standpoint? Absolutely. Um, So my name is Amber. I'm a machine learning engineer at Arise. I mostly focus on um, kind of the customer facing, community facing side. So I help lead a lot of training, a lot of the educational content, and we recently just put out a intro to ML observability course. Uh, so it's a free course. You can take it, um, you know, take it at your own pace um, and definitely join our community. We'll make sure you get those links to send out. But my background is in machine learning and astronomy. So I was an astronomer for a while, was in data science. Um, I did a bit of uh, program management at Splunk uh, in the ML area. And then um, it's, I was going to say recently, but it's actually already been over a year. I uh, jumped over to the Arise team, and it's it's been an amazing journey. Like I've been here for the the Series A announcement, Series B announcement, which was recent, and it's just it's been a really fun ride so far. Amazing! Thanks, Amber, for the great introduction, and I like the aspect that you you are from astronomy background. That's a great <laughs> topic, and which is, I think, at some point of time, I would like to have a detailed conversation on that. And over to you, Absolutely. Dad. And over to awesome. you, Dad. Could you also awesome. provide some brief uh, background and introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Dat No. Uh, I'm a ML Solutions Architect uh, at Arise. So um, a little different from Amber's role, but I kind of work directly. Uh, with with the customers uh, on a day to day, so um, helping them kind of solve their their biggest issues and where kind of observability can kind of um, come into the space and, and help them out. Uh, so my background, uh, I kind of have a statistics background uh, by nature. Um, Ex data scientist for kind of a long time, did some data engineering work kind of before them to kind of lay the really good you know, engineering foundation um, there. And so uh, kind of before rise, I was at a um, a fintech uh, AI kind of startup. Uh, kind of doing predictive modeling on on kind of fraud and kind of loan risk. Um, but yeah, super excited to be here uh, and be with Arise. Uh, it's been about a year for me with Arise. And um, honestly, I've nothing but great things to say about it. And it's been a really fun ride. Amazing. Amazing, Dad. I like the way that you have a lot of the statistical background. And I think uh, I know this is going to be a great session with both of you coming from uh, these different backgrounds and uh, talking about Arise platform. All right, so like how I do, uh, generally before getting into the details of the podcast and uh, getting into the topic of the podcast, 
I try to ease our audience into this. Maybe I'll first start with you, Dad, asking you a question about how machine learning has changed your perspectives or your life. Maybe any personal experience or a professional experience. In the past, you might have noticed that there are some things that have been done, but now without even knowing that inherently we know we use it, we use some kind of an app or some kind of a thing that we know that machine learning is embedded into that. Any such kind of an experience? Yeah, that's a really great question. I really like that question. Um, kind of as you said, uh, a lot of people actually in their day-to-day -day don't even realize that machine learning is everywhere uh, in everything that they use, right? It's whether it's recommendations uh, for the next TV show you should watch on Netflix to, um, you know, uh, suggestions from from Google of how to finish your email, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of everywhere. Uh, and being a practitioner, uh, I think we're we're just very uh, cognizant of where it is, and it's really kind of cool to see it. Uh, as far as where it's changed, kind of my life, uh, not only in my career, uh, it's something I'm extremely passionate about. But I just think I just see it as been making the the lives of everyone's uh, everyone's lives just so much easier uh and it's kind of snuck in in a really funny way that a lot of people don't realize uh that that it is indeed machine learning on the other end of whatever feature that they're using for whatever product so for me it's been uh not only life-changing from a career perspective uh, i think we can all agree that uh, ml as as an industry has kind of really taken off uh so it's been amazing to see the investment in in industry in in in, in ml but also um the, the normal day-to-day. -day. So um, even if you're not an ML practitioner, you can definitely see it in your day-to-day. -day. Great, great. Awesome, Dad. So coming to you, Amber, I'll put the question in a little different way. I know there are mm -hmm. a lot of these uh, beautiful or amazing use cases going on out there, whether it is ML or AI. Maybe one such initiative or one such use case in the real world that you feel so much compelled to uh, follow what is happening or any such experience that you would like to share? Oh, yeah, that's that's a good question. I think all the projects around uh, like AI for good and the different, um, you might even see it in different hackathons, but there's so many projects that are now being done. I remember one I helped on in particular that was um, detecting early detection of wildfires um, mm -hmm. through computer vision. And it's just amazing to see how like big data and AI can be leveraged, uh, leveraged for good, leveraged for nonprofits. Um, so those are ones where I think everyone really wants to follow along and, and see how those are progressing. Um, and then the other is just making things more accessible mm -hmm. um, to everyone. The fact that, you know, whether you're vision impaired or hearing impaired, um, there's so many options for you to learn now. And you don't have to even go, you know, you don't even have to leave the house really to have all those um uh, all those different ways of access um, to information. Uh, so the accessibility and then, yeah, I would say the AI for good are, are things that a lot of times really blow my mind on the advancements. Perfect. Amazing. I think I like uh, the examples both of you have quoted, and I believe uh, there's a lot of things happening around us uh, in the AI and the ML world. Maybe let us take a quick break and then come back and get into the meat of our conversation. All right, so now let us get into uh, the topic of today's conversation about how do you leverage ML observatory platforms, many of these enterprise AI projects. So before getting in there, I would first want to come, uh, come up with this question um, for the sake of our uh, audience. How are AI projects implemented in a general, uh, maybe a big picture overview, if one of you can start with that. Right. So just as a general overview, um, we have a lot of teams coming to us because they're just starting to implement AI into their uh, workflow and implement AI models, and they want to kind of get ahead and, and leverage Arise. Um, really, the first things teams need to think of is what is the problem I'm trying to solve? And will, will AI actually solve 
that problem for me. Uh, more often than not, the answer is yes, but it, it does de depend on the complexity there. Um, mm -hmm. And it all starts from the data. So some teams want, they're like, I want computer vision. I want NLP. Um, I want deep neural networks. Um, and then they don't have the data that necessarily makes those the best models to use. So see, you know, what, what's the goal? What are you trying to do? Because we're seeing teams, you know, some of these teams are you know, early stage startups. Some of these teams are a hundred or some of these companies are a hundred plus years mm -hmm. old. Um, and, you know, they're all trying to leverage like the most state-of-the-art algorithms to make things from customer success to churn to uh, predicted sales and marketing, all these areas as equipped um, as possible and implementing these algorithms. So I tell it seems like, you know, you need to start with the why, why am I doing this? Um, you know, what can solve this problem? See if you have the right data for it. Um, and then and then actually build out those those different blocks of a project. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so that is, I think, uh, like always, I think we start with a business problem and some of these business problems can be handled mm -hmm. maybe without the without even using AI that there might be mm -hmm. situations with the just regular rule-based mechanisms. But I think, like you mentioned, I think you start with a business problem, we understand if this business problem needs an AI, kind of a thing and where is the data coming in from and all. So now let us get into the next step of what are the basic steps involved here, like an AI project. You have these different phases, starting with the data exploration, data cleansing and data uh, data wrangling and then creating your models and all. Maybe do you want to highlight a bit more or talk about a bit more on that before we get into our the actual platform? Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, thing to highlight. I think uh, you know, kind of after what you and Amber said, really, it's like um, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Raghu. There, it's like a lot of times companies want to they want to dangle the sexy ML, but they're not quite ready for it yet from a data maturation kind of phase. But uh, I think the first you know step is you guys kind of highlighted was you know what's the business use case and and can ML solve it. Uh, and is ML the right tool to solve it, right? Um, and then once you get past that stage, right, um, then you go into what I call the, the rapid prototyping phase. So um, if you're kind of a machine learning practitioner or data scientist and you've been through this phase, uh, this is really that that kind of notebook phase. This is to kind of uh, kind of test the concept and test the value. So this is kind of um, building up a notebook, uh, cleaning some kind of random one-off data um, and doing, you know, data cleansing, kind of feature engineering, um, all the steps needed to really produce uh, a really good prototyped model, right? And this is where you show the business uh, stakeholders really like, hey, we can build this model, we have the data, and it is indeed predictive, right? So the main goal out of the rapid prototyping phase is really, uh, you know, testing the concept, testing the value. Mm -hmm. And I think coming from there, uh, once, you know, you've got sign off, uh, the next thing is, I think, one of, you know, what I think the industry has really been focused on the last maybe 10 years is, is moving this into production. How do you get from rapid prototyping into, okay, now I'm serving my model in production. Mm -hmm. it, it's fanning out, it's touching all the business uh, stakeholders, it's getting to its end users. Um, and, you know, in the last 10 years, this has been really, you know, there's there's a multitude of tools here, which I'm sure we'll go over, but really how, do, how to get a model into production uh, has right. been a really big task in the last 10 years. Um, I think we've done a really good job as an industry to get there. I think a lot of, you know, you can see it in today's world where everybody, you know, has at least a few models in, in production that are serving uh, the business needs, hence everyone in the world. And then there's the step after that, which is where I really think the industry is today. And it's, it's once you have all these models in production, how do you maintain and evaluate these models so that, that, that you know that they're still performing for you right. uh, in production? So now it's it's kind of getting to, you know, if we do take the software analogy, you know, we've just uh, deployed, you know, software and now I have kind of APM monitoring uh, and observability into my software. In this case, it's, you know, machine learning uh, kind of models and data science models, which kind of live and act on data, which is very different than kind of static software. Mm -hmm. um, we call this kind of the model evaluation layer or, you know, uh, just, you know, making sure what you've built and worked so hard to build stays uh, kind of performant for you. Uh, and then this whole cycle, really, uh, these are what I think the basic steps are when kind of implementing uh, an AI project from start to finish, but it's never over, right? It's always right. an iterative process, right? So whether you're building new models or want to increase or, or kind of 
um, re-architect or make better new ones because you can always get more data, which may be more predictive. You always kind of go through this this kind of cycle. Right. Amazing. I think uh, I like the way you put it and I, li I like the way you have uh, architected or highlighted the, all the steps that are needed. So yes, we start with this, the data exploration phase, and then we understand what kind of data you have, you build the model, and then you try to uh, deploy the model and then understand where or which of these models have to be uh, updated or uh, re-architected or so on and so forth. So I know there is a need, which is where we are kind of transitioning from a DevOps environment to an MLOps environment in the last few years. So I can understand where we are going, but I have this question. So where does this ML observability come into play? Uh, so if one of you can highlight this and why is it so important nowadays? Right. So um, when teams hear the word ML observability, um, it could apply to a few areas, whether it's network observability, um, ML observability, um, but where it fits in that, that tool chain, that ML pipeline is at the very end. So once you've done the experimentation, the rapid prototyping that Dat talked about, you're ready to deploy your model, you put it into production, and then now what? Uh, you might think, okay, that's that's it, that's done, I'll retrain it. Um, if it's like a small model, if it's not kind of touching many models, maybe I'll just retrain it every day. If it's a large model that touches many teams, oh, maybe I'll just retrain it every six months. But that's not really the right way to think about these models that are making such critical business decisions with your company and that are having a lot of impact on your customer success. Uh, the way you want to think about that is being alerted instantly whenever there's a data quality issue, whenever there's a drift issue, if your performance is starting to degrade, being alerted to that immediately. And then the observability part is kind of that root cause analysis issue where you're going to track that air back to the data that it's coming from. So platforms like Arise will help you root cause and figure out where that air is happening um, so that uh, it will uh, alleviate a lot of the the time and stress it takes to find those errors. Um, Arise actually did a survey of over a thousand companies. Uh, majority of those surveyed were machine learning engineers. And we asked, uh, how long does it typically take to find and fix an error in production? Um, and 84% of teams say said it takes at least a week to find an error. Um, and then obviously like fixing it can be a variety, but at least a week. So they're saying that air exists for a week in production before most people even know it's there. So we're taking that time, taking it down, and hopefully, you know, we're able to, you know, find the air and fix it. And we've seen this within a few hours, a uh, few hours, like big teams are able to make these uh, corrections. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I think I like the way you put it, like explaining where the observability will come into picture in the whole ML ops life cycle. So now let us take a step back and understand maybe for the audience to kind of put a few things in perspective and what are the, and maybe we can, uh, we can explain like what are the different data science tools that are used in a typical AI implementation. And I know platforms like Ares has a lot of integrations as well available and then how you kind of plug and play these things. Maybe can you put the things in perspective, explaining what are the different data science tools here we have and how ML observability, arrays of ML observability will come into play. Yeah, great. Uh, great, great highlight there. I think it's important to, to give context uh, to, to the audience here of like, where, where do we fit in and uh, how does this fit in with other tools and, and what do the other tools actually do as well? So um, when we think about our data, right, um, I'm sure, you know, in your business, you probably have some sort of data, data, you know, storage or collection. So whether you're like, you have an ERP system, or you have, you know, IoT that's collecting data, uh, all this data goes somewhere into, you know, your data stack, it could be some sort of relational database or uh, kind of a data lakes, you know, style of structure. So you can imagine this as, you know, the first part, this is your base layer kind of data stores. Um, and so we have other parts of that kind of act similar to that, but they're very specialized for the kind of ML space. And we call these kind of feature stores. Um, mm -hmm. So the idea of a feature store is if, imagine you have many, many models at your 
um, kind of um, business, uh, you kind of want a single source of truth for kind of quote unquote your features or the you know the data that's going to be an input uh, to your models. Um, and so you could store these features individually per model, but it actually makes a lot of sense to actually store them in kind of one single aggregate place uh, for kind of a single source of truth. So, you know, imagine you have a few different teams uh, and you kind of want to make sure they have the same source of data. You can all point them to a feature store. So you've seen the rise of, um, you know, uh, technologies such as Tecton and kind of Feast. Um, and so, the, you know, the central idea behind a feature store, right, is that um, you can imagine it's a single source of truth for kind of all your models. So whether you have distributed teams, and your model data in kind of different places for different teams, it make, actually makes a lot of sense to have it in one place and curate it kind of there. Um, so when it comes to the feature store, um, it, ma it makes a lot of sense to actually kind of put all the, the feature data into one place so that all your models and all your distributed teams can kind of pull from that your model store. So um, everyone kind of knows that data science and building models is an extremely iterative process. Um, so you might train one model one way this week, and then you might train it a different way next week, or maybe have different features and do feature engineering. Um, it's extremely iterative. And so having a place that you can store all your kind of model artifacts and you can kind of track all the, the versions and lineage of, of that kind of model is extremely important. Um, I think for folks who've ever tried to build their own model kind of a store, it gets extremely kind of hectic and, and and you have to manage a lot. So technologies such as, you know, weights and biases or maybe ML flow, these technologies do a really great job of tracking kind of your model uh, lineage and artifacts so that, you know, hey, I know I had a great model that I produced last week. Uh, and then I have kind of all the artifacts to kind of reproduce that model and maybe push it into production. And so, that leads me to the next uh, kind of uh, kind of technology that's quite used a lot is is once you know technologies such as maybe you know uh, algorithmia or kind of cube flow kind of come in, and this is really how do I get my model serving its predictions to the business in a production in a productionalized manner? Um, there's also you know many other like cloud platforms do like like SageMaker and Vertex. Uh, there, there's so many model serving kind of technologies today. Um, but just wanted to highlight, this is really where the rubber meets the road, and, and this is where you're productionalizing um, out to the business. And all this leads really to the last part, um, kind of as Amber highlighted. Um, and this is where your evaluation and inference store comes into play. This is where your model's in production, and you really want to get a good sense of, you know, how touching users. Um, so this is really where, you know, you want to keep track uh, and maintain and understand what your model's doing in the wild. Um, and where to make adjustments kind of over time. One other thing I'll highlight here is you don't just have to use um, an evaluation or kind of uh, inference store to track models in the wild. You can actually use like uh, something like Rise to also track uh, feature store changes. So one common thing we're seeing in, in actually the most recent past year is a lot of teams actually want to track how my feature store is changing over time. Mm-hmm a good sense of what's happening inside your feature store because if you can imagine all your models draw from your feature store so if your feature store changes even the slightest all your models will also change um so that's that's kind of a high level overview of kind of the stack there and how they all kind of interact with each other so uh, thanks uh dad for that detailed explanation about the the stack involving the various data science tools and how arises uh, ML observability comes into play. And uh, now let me ask this question about how Arise can help enterprise and consumer software customers, or how is it, how easy is it? It is to use Arise in the context of uh, analyzing, observing, or monitoring these different ML models. Maybe if you could, one of you could, if you could talk about that, I think that will be helpful. Yeah, that's a, it's a really great question there. Uh, and really, again, gives a lot of context. Um, and, you know, if I was, a, if I was wanting to know more about it, you know, uh, this is something I would ask too, is like, okay, I want to implement observability. Um, you know, how would this be useful and how, how, easy of a lift would it be for, for to get this kind of going? And so the first thing I would say is that um, when it comes to enterprise or, you know, consumer software customers, we we help everyone across the space. It's amazing to see how 
how our software really uh, is applicable kind of everywhere uh, in kind of the, the ML industry. Uh, so whether you're kind of a massive uh, kind of Fortune 50 company or you're a startup, uh, just, you know, and you're centric around ML or you have ML models, um, it's very useful kind of in both settings. So it doesn't really matter what size you are. Um, and so in the context of, you know, analyzing, observing, you know, what does a rise do is essentially kind of what you're after. And really, um, if, if you've ever worked with a data science model and you've seen one over time kind of perform, you'll kind of get the feeling and you kind of know that all machine learning models degrade over time. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a natural thing. It's not like you built your model wrong or anything. It's just because, you know, the, the machine learning model tries to get a good understanding or generalization of the world around it. Um, and so the next question is like, does the world change over time? And the answer is yes. So whether yeah. you're in finance and you're looking at changing interest rates, right, that's going to affect your models. Um, whether you're in kind of uh, healthcare, right, and you, you we see like, uh, you know, a worldwide event like COVID, uh, the idea is that your models are going to, you know, face issues like um, data drift, right? Or they're going to, you know, that may offshoot something like, uh, you know, performance degradation of those models. We could see changing, you know, uh, data just for natural kind of natural um, processes that happen inside of companies when, when you know, um, engineering pipelines are changed or transformations, or maybe we get new data or our data vendor has changed, that could possibly change our data. And so, uh, kind of with that in context, um, th this is where observability really comes into play is because the real world around us is changing. Uh, we want to have a good grasp on the, the, those changes. Uh, and as far as, um, you know, kind of integration with something like Arise, um, the way, you know, I would simply put it is you can think of Arise as a, a system of record. We're kind of logging kind of data in the same way in kind of DevOps where we're observing and monitoring things. Um, it works very, very similar in that method. So uh, very kind of easy integration, I would say. Great. I think uh, I like the way you put it uh, that about how Arise can mimic the way how we do the logging or the monitoring or the observability when we do in the regular DevOps environment. I think if you connect it into the MLOps environment, I think that is what Arise's platform is kind of doing it in the ML world. So taking this further, uh, are there any live customer use cases that you want to explain? I know there are there are a lot of use cases that you work with a lot of live customers, but do you want to pick up one particular use case and you want to explain uh, how the customer or the particular use case benefited from using the RIS platform? You don't need to talk about the name of the customer, but it's up to you if you want to explain how the particular customer or how the particular scenario benefited by using the ML platform. Yeah, this is a, this is a great one actually. Um, and so, um, you know, uh, imagine a very large uh, music streaming platform. Uh, I think we we all know, kind of have an idea of what it is, but mm -hmm. um, you know, recently we worked with the team uh, at a streaming kind of music platform. Uh, we kind of ingested their data with Rise. They started using observability, um, and we started to notice some peculiarities uh, over a certain time period. Uh, we noticed a very large spike in uh, distributional changes between the outputs. So the model was guessing, you know. Will this, you know, will my user uh, finish this song or will they kind of skip the song? Uh, we noticed these ratios kind of got um, kind of out of whack. It was, you know, the normal distributions had changed significantly. Uh, and so, you know, this was alerted to the team and the team uh, quickly, you know, they found the issue and, um, you know, and, and the issue was really, you know, so uh, model predictions are great. But a lot of times when you're working with model predictions, they're under some sort of SLA or you need to get the model prediction out in a certain amount of time, right? Otherwise, they're not, you know, if I wanted a, a model prediction, was, is this person going to finish this song or not? Uh, and it takes me a year to do that prediction. It's not very useful. You kind of right. want it within a certain of latency. And so what happened here was actually um, the it, the model actually was, was slowing down uh, for some, there's an engineering reason behind that. Uh, so it slowed down. And what happened was, the model actually defaulted. So there was a, a heuristic on the back end of it. If the model doesn't reach this particular SLA, it'll actually default to a particular value because other machine learning models actually um, ingest it, this model's output. So you think one ML model feeding another. And so because these models need this output, if it doesn't come in a certain amount of time, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of affects downstream the other models. And so this was a very like tangible um, Kind of bug or issue that we kind of noticed uh and 
you know, the the team wouldn't have known about this without something kind of like uh, arise that that alerted them to the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one example in kind of a very common space. Um, one other example I wanted to quickly highlight here was, uh, you know, we work with a computer, a very advanced computer vision team. Uh, the use case here is, you know, uh, imagine you're driving in your car uh, and, you know, somebody rear ends you. Uh, you know, nowadays insurance companies have the ability, you know, you take a picture of your kind of your car and then that's how you can file a claim nowadays. Um, so there's actually computer vision models and ML models um, that try to determine, um, you know, how much damage has happened to your car, kind of similar to an estimator, right? Mm-hmm. So this is kind of helping estimators determine what the damage is. Um, and so in this use case here, what was happening was, um, you know, the images that were coming into this model, and they, this model will try to determine how much damage is happening to the car, was kind of ingesting um, kind of bad images, or they were kind of rotated, or there was a bunch of sunlight. If you imagine taking a picture of your car in the sun, uh, you know, if, if it's a little too sunny, you can get kind of weird or blurry images. Uh, and this can really affect the model's outcome to predict, you know, how much damage has happened to my car. Um, and so, you know, this team is using Arise to detect things like this. Um, and so I just wanted to highlight those two use cases of, um, you know, where Arise has really come in in kind of the industries. Great. I think these are two amazing and excellent use cases. I think uh, I know uh, th- these are very uh, daily uh, daily use scenarios where whether uh, listening into a music uh, working with a streaming flat platform that is very helpful. And also the other scenario that you explained about the insurance scenarios, these are also very helpful on a daily on a daily basis for the customers. Amazing. So I know there is a lot we have discussed. I would like to take a quick break so that our audience can have some, can digest some of this conversation that we had. There's a lot that we discussed. Let us take a quick break, come back and then get into the other details. Welcome back. So we've been having some great conversation here with uh, Dad and Amber. Uh, We did discuss about the way AI projects are implemented, the basic steps involved in it, and where ML observability comes into picture, this uh, ML ops environment and how arrays fits in here, helping the enterprise and consumer customers, uh, consumer software customers. And we also briefly discussed about a live customer scenario uh, that that has explained a couple of uh, customer scenarios. Now, I have this question, I think um, maybe makes sense to ask this question about what are the basic prerequisites needed while implementing these AI projects and how Arise can play a big role here. I know because we are talking about ML observability and the ML ops platform. Mm-hmm. For for prerequisites, whenever someone's thinking of uh, implementing an AI project or just implementing uh, maybe like updating a model, again, uh, I think I mentioned it before, like it all starts from the data. So making sure that your data is in a mature um kind of a mature developed fashion. So whether it's in kind of a data lake, uh, warehouse, certain storage, as long as that is like, that's clean, that's organized, like there's a system in place. And as you're getting in more data, it's, it's updated. So figuring out your data first, uh, oftentimes, you know, when teams are building like an AI uh, an AI org or an AI team, they have to make sure they have the data engineers first that can design that system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just maturing that entire MLOps pipeline. Because um, Arise comes in, like I like we mentioned before, comes in like once you're at the point that you're ready to uh, deploy a model. And when that model is deployed, it's going to affect customers. It's going to affect revenue. Um, it's going to infect or it's going to... Um, it's going to impact internal um, success as well. So these models can touch on any topic. Um, so any any prerequisites you need have to focus around the tools um, for that and making sure you have the right um, training and the right team members for those as well. Like if you're wanting to implement an AI model, like having someone with that experience, bringing at least like one person that has done that before in, um, is going to be really important. Um, but just 
maturing the data system in general, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. um, implementing a tool like Arise. Um, I, I mentioned before, teams come to us a lot of times because they're starting this process, but many teams have come to us as well because they had an issue in production. Um, they missed something. Um, normally it's like an error that's very hard to find and they didn't know about it until a customer had pretty much complained um, or like different customers had, um, you know, bad reactions to whatever model or recommendation system that they were being exposed to. And that's really the last thing we want to see. So having a rise implemented almost as a prerequisite to making these important decisions that touch the bottom line of the company um, is, is kind of key. Um, so that's really where ML observability will, will come into that uh, ML ops ecosystem. Great, great. I, I like the way you've uh, explained the prerequisites concept uh, in a detailed way. So now I think comes to the most important question or the million dollar question. How does Arise differentiate there, uh, with other ML platforms? I know the ML AI platform space is huge. There are a lot of players out there and it is crowded. I think you have big players, you have small players. And uh, how do you differentiate Arise from the other ML platforms? And maybe I'll also add one more question on top of that. How can it add value to implementations in the enterprise business space, whether it is SAP implementations or Oracle or Workdays or Salesforce? so on and so forth. Like, if you can elaborate a bit more on that, I think that will be amazing for the audience. Yeah, fantastic question here. Uh, definitely the million dollar question. Um, so uh, how do we differentiate ourselves here at Arise? Um, and uh, there's a few points I'd like to make here, um, but you know, first and foremost, um, I think one of the main things we really pride ourselves on is, is really, um, we work and live in a complex space. Um, ML and AI is not a is not a trivial thing, um, and so when you know the founders set out to build the company, right? Um, we're dealing with the most advanced systems on the planet. Um, the interface between the human and that extremely complex um, system should be as simple and intuitive as possible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so. Um, so the, one of, I'd say one of the main differentiators we have is, is really, I think it takes years to build data science and AI intuition. Uh, we tried to build this intuition in platform. So when it comes to usability and intuition, uh, and just, you know, it's, it's amazing. You can send a brand new data scientist on to arise, uh, and then they start picking up concepts that would take, would have taken them years if they, if they, you know, were a data scientist and had to do this kind of on their own. Um, so the platform really tries to surface up. A lot of the intuition in in this space when it comes to observability, um, and so what do I mean by that? I mean a lot of this is really the workflows. So whether mm -hmm. you're seeing drift in your model, right? Do you know where that drift is coming from and why and how to fix it? Um, are you seeing you know performance issues, performance metrics degrading over time? Uh, do you know which slices or segments they're coming from, and and how do you train your model next time so that it's not going to have these issues, right? Um, a lot of these workflows, like, uh, is my model being fair or, un, you know, unbiased uh, in its predictions, right? Uh, can you surface that visually to, to a data scientist or an ML practitioner in a way that they, they'll know, like, hey, this is, this is where my model is being unfair in these segments, these cohorts, et cetera, uh, and with these groups. Um, and so if you think about the multivariate analysis we have to do every day, uh, being able to break complex things down simply I think is kind of the definition of something that's extremely useful uh, and, and kind of genius, in, in fact. Um, and so that's one area where I think we're absolutely the strongest. Um, it, it's This product was built uh, by uh, machine learning practitioners and data scientists for machine learning practitioners and data scientists. So I think uh, knowing that, you know, we come from the industry um, and you can kind of see it in our logo list, but we've just done a really great job of building that intuition that takes many years uh, into a product. And, you know, the next thing I'll also say as kind of key differentiators is, is really scale. I think it's really great to have a tool that does this, but it needs to do it at scale. Otherwise, um, how does it, you know, how does it expand out to the business? Um, it needs to. Right. Um, and so when it comes to scale and velocity, um, 
you know, we were talking billion, billion, billion event systems, many billions, tens, hundreds, billion event systems. Uh, can your observability platform handle that? Um, and that's something we've kind of prided ourselves on. We, you know, our DNA is of like Uber and ad tech. So I think, you know, very large trillion event systems. So that's what we're kind of scaled around. And kind of the last uh, section as far as the differentiator is really when we talked about that, you know, uh, computer vision use case, um, you know, not only can we handle tabular data, which is mm -hmm. fantastic, um, how do you measure drift and unstructured data? How do you measure, you know, performance metrics and unstructured data when it comes to NLP and computer vision? If you think about where the investment is going in the space, um, it's towards these more complex use cases. I think as an industry, we've done a really great job in the tabular world. We've proven out value. Um, it's 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 kind of in a maturation phase, but the new areas, right, uh, are these kind of unstructured um, kind of uh, data or kind of medium. And so we do a really great job there as well to bring that intuition that I said in the first point into that space. Mm -hmm. And Raghu, to your last question really is like, how does this add value to kind of like enterprise systems, whether it's like SAP or others? Um, so, you know, SAP, you have uh, S4 HANA, um, you know, in Salesforce, you have Einstein. Um, a lot of these um, enterprise systems are are just like the industry. They're moving towards uh, machine learning. Um, and so a key component of this is like we can integrate with those systems uh, and, and give you, you know, visibility into what these systems are doing. So all the great work that's happening, uh, you know, in these kind of uh, enterprise systems, uh, we want to make sure and continue that they're that they continue to do great work and that the models that they produce are in good condition. Okay, amazing. Um, uh, so that's some great uh, thoughts that you have put across um, that. So maybe before we take a break, I would like to ask uh, one question about any real-time challenges or experiences customers face while working on these AI projects and while working on with these different ML platforms or in the, in the case that here mm -hmm. we're talking about Arise platform, the ML observability platform. Yeah. And, and that's a highly relevant question because that's, that's where the real meat of these conversations with customers come from. A lot of stuff um, could be done offline, could be done in batch, but that real time challenge of knowing that there's an error with your model is is what makes the problem of ML observability so difficult. Um, when teams are are kind of forced to deal with this in real time, they, you know, there's an error. So what they do is they take one model offline, put the other one, put another model online, um, you know, trying to manage these different models and then trying to just go through the data, trying to figure out where this problem is. And that's why it takes, you know, it could take weeks to even when you know there's a problem to figure out where that problem exists. Um, and it might not just be one problem. It could be several problems. And this is all happening in real time as as customers are using platforms and um, are using products. So some of like the real time challenges customers face are when their models start drifting. Mm -hmm. So in some models, you will have ground truths and actuals, and you can see your um, performance in real time. But a lot of teams won't get those ground truths back. There's going to be some type of delay. So being able to look for data drift or um, being able to look for prediction drift or drift in metadata um, is key and is often like the first sign that there is an issue happening live, mm -hmm. um, as well as any drifts in data quality. Um, so being alerted to those as they're happening in real time is crucial because um, each kind of each time um, uh, you know, one of these errors happens, that's that means your that means your bottom line is losing money. Your company is losing profitability. Customers could be churning. So anytime there's an error, um, that it's all about time to value. Um, so being able to fix real time challenges in real time uh, is key for uh, our customers, especially. Great. Thanks for the detailed explanation, Amber. I know we could talk hours together on this uh, topic because there's a lot of uh, uh, things going on there. But I know in the interest of time, what I would like to do is that maybe take a quick break, come back and do our key takeaways and closing remarks.
All right, uh, welcome back. We had an amazing conversation with Amber and Dad on the concepts of ML observability and how Arise's platform is helping enterprise businesses and consumer software firms in this context. I know the time is not enough and these these conversations can get into hours and they are very they are very interesting. But uh, I want to keep it below an hour. So that is the reason I think we had to come back uh, with some key takeaways and closing remarks. Obviously, we can plan to do another conversation sometime later. Uh, so over to you folks, I think, uh, Amber and that. Do you want to mm -hmm. provide some key takeaways and closing remarks? Yeah, um, we had a lot of great um, kind of back and forth throughout this podcast. So thank, thanks for having us. Um, the questions were fantastic. And I think for key takeaways that I want the audience to understand about ML observability is kind of the difference between ML monitoring and ML observability. Because ML monitoring a lot of times is the tip of the iceberg. It's 100% necessary for your models. Uh, you should have monitors around drift, performance, and data quality, but it's not going to give you that level deeper. It's not going to help you troubleshoot and resolve those problems that you're seeing in production. In order to do that, you need ML observability so that you can look at um, you know, your performance at the slice level. So you can um, actually do bias tracing. So you can figure out what kind of drift is happening and where within features, um, whether it's categoric or numeric, where that error is actually existing, um, whether it's in metadata. And um, you can also look at it for structured and unstructured use cases. So like, are your embeddings drifting? Um, so really just that level when you're like, when you're questioning, like, do I need ML observability in my model? Maybe I just set a few, like a set a monitor to myself on performance. You really need that level deeper. Um, many teams I've seen like how it pays off in the long run and pays off in the errors that you catch before it becomes a real problem for your team. So it's, it's essentially an insurance policy that a lot of teams have leveraged. Um, but if you want to learn more about bias tracing um, or unstructured use cases, uh, just find us in community. Um, and they're also available in that free course. Beautiful. Uh, Dad, do you also want to add some key takeaways and closing remarks? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Amber, that was that was fantastic. Um, and one, you know, what I would add to that, um, you know, is really as you think about your own journey into the ML kind of space, um, where you're at, um, the last mile is, is generally considered to be ML observability, but it's probably the most important mile. Um, you would never release software into the wild uh, without having some sort of kind of eyes on it. Um, and so, when it, especially when it comes to ML models too, this is, this is when it counts. This is game time is when it's in production. Um, so as you think about your own journey, just realize, you know, once you get to the stage of uh, productionizing your model, um, you know, the most important step is definitely observability. And to summarize, you know, Arise really strives to strike three main pillars, right? The first one is really, you know, let me know when something's gone wrong, right? Uh, let me be proactive instead of reactive on, on my models in production. Uh, the second one is, you know, after you know something has gone wrong, um, you want to understand why that happened and, and how can you make sure this doesn't happen in the future or kind of, um, you know, fix your model uh, in the future so that uh, these issues don't kind of arise again. Mm -hmm. And all this contributes really to the third. Um, we're all practitioners. We deal with extremely complex systems. Um, the third point is really, how do we make the lives of, of ML practitioners and, and uh, data scientists easier, right? Um, if you've ever had to troubleshoot um, a model, you know, there's a multitude of things that can go wrong. Um, and so making the lives of data scientists much easier is the third pillar that we really strike. Um, so kind of in summary, that's how I would kind of describe Arise. Um, and, you know, Regu, thank you so much for having us on the show. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you. I think great, uh, great conversation that we had here. Thank you both for coming on board and uh, talking about ML observability, which is one of the key areas in machine learning that is happening nowadays. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Dad. Thanks, Raghu. Thanks.
All right, uh, welcome back. Let us now wrap up this uh, podcast too from season four. I would first like to thank our guests, Amber Roberts and Dad Go from Eris. We had a very interesting conversation in the space of uh, machine learning and observability. Uh, this is one of those concepts where um, uh, when, when, when you build these machine learning models into deployment and when you're starting to monitor these models, there's a lot of things that are going on. So there are a lot of things that even I learned here. I hope this conversation was helpful to you. As always, if you have any questions or if you want to reach out to these guests, uh, I'll be tagging them on the LinkedIn post and on the social media posts. So you can directly reach out to them. Uh, or you can even reach out to me. I can put in touch with you with them. So apart from that, um, as you might know, uh, there are a lot of other podcasts which are also available. So you can go and search up uh, the podcast series, Extra AI, Machine Learning and AI Applications. Or uh, recently we have started or we have put a website in this context, xtrawai.com. Uh, in short, it is called Extract the Raw AI Conversations. So you can go to this website and you can find a huge list of uh, interesting AI conversations that I had with different guests as well. As always, uh, if you want to send any feedback, you know how to reach me on my LinkedIn handle, Raghubanda, or the Twitter handle, RKBanda, or alternatively, you can directly go to this website, xtrawai.com. Finally, I would like to thank you all, the audience, for taking your time to listening in and tuning in to this conversation. If you have any additional topics that you would like to propose or suggest, please reach out to me and I will try to see if I can arrange them. Happy predicting the future with AI technologies. Thank you and bye-bye now.